Hello. What's up, Javi? You and I start at the same time. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Cannabis Insider. We can talk. My name is Elliot. This is Javier Haas. We are back on our normal schedule. If you saw it or if you didn't see it, we had the absolute immense pleasure of doing three shows last week. Mm-hmm. We had our two normal four. shows Tuesday. Oh, well, you had four. I said we, Javi. I'm including myself Ooh, in this. Thank you. Weed. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. It's so Javi got weed. it's the royalty. He's the monarch. So Javi got to interview Kim Rivers in between our two shows last week. And then we had the immense pleasure of talking with Representative David Joyce. Republican from Ohio who has his name on every major piece of legislation, uh, except for CAOA, which consider major at your own behest, uh, up but to you. Way, like, just make sure if you're, you know, searching for these interviews on YouTube afterwards, search them separately, Kim Rivers and David Joyce, because if you Google, if you search Kim Rivers and David Joyce, what you will get was, is the panel from last year's Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conference in Miami, where Kim Rivers and David Joyce uh, talked about cannabis. I remember one thing they said that was awesome. He said the best thing you can do to lobby or convince or sway your local politicians and policymakers uh, to to accept cannabis is to show them your facilities, to have them tour your facilities, show them that you're a legitimate operating business. And here's something, a great <laughs> takeaway from the last conversation you and I, Elliot, had with um, David Joyce. He said, Cannabis is the only industry coming to D.C. consistently asking to get properly taxed. And regulated. I mean, what a great line. (laughs) Like, What a great, great line. So you all see the full interview. Uh, We talked to him about a lot. And honestly, we also got the general this is how it goes conversation in comparison to what you expect in cannabis. So not everybody knows that. You know, we all assume we're all D.C. experts. We're all federal politician experts. And we're not. Right. So Dave kind of broke it down for us. Uh, and this is the this is the pacing for legislation. This is normal. Connections with every interview we do. Last last week, I interviewed Carlos Santana as well, who's collaborating with. The Aren't you company. just special? And and and, you know, I was thinking this is how it goes is one of Santana's Wait. most famous songs. Oye, como va? Yeah, can we just talk really quickly, and then we're gonna we're gonna actually introduce our our podcast so people know what they're listening to. Um, but can we just talk about your week last week? You interviewed Kim Rivers, Representative Joyce from the United States Congress. You interviewed Carlos Santana, and you freaking interviewed Joe Exotic. <laughs> like, I love you. I hate you. I just want to be you. No, you I are my you. idol. All you of the above. Like, yeah, I, no, I mean, what week you had sweet. last week? <laughs> like, Javier, the best cannabis journalist in the space uh, from my mouth to your all's ears it is it but malia please get us started what are we doing today let's get rolling in style Gets you, gets you ready for this, man. Gets you ready for it. So, Javi, big news stories, right? We, we've been talking about safe banking for a week and a half now. I think the context is out there. If you're not familiar, go back to our episodes. You can read about it on all of Javier's articles. But long story short, Senate Banking Committee talked about it last Thursday. The timeline looks like uh, that committee will vote sometime in 
July, is it? Uh, if the timelines hold as it is, and the, the full Senate would vote sometime in September if it moves mm-hmm. optimistically. Around what, we, what else is happening in September? That oh, is just the best conference in the world. BZCannabis.com, September 27th and 28th at the Marriott Magnificent Mile. I'm getting really good at saying it really quickly. Um, but we already have a ton of amazing speakers that are going to be joining us. We have Miguel from Aurora. Uh, we have Kim Rivers from Leave. Um, it, it is going to be a spectacular show. And honestly, there's a lot happening in the Midwest, y'all. Missouri, so much excitement. You're going to see a lot of those operators come up and join us. Michigan, where Benzinga's headquartered, where neither of us are at. Uh, but Benzinga, downtown Detroit, you're going to see a lot of Michigan companies come down. Uh, so many cool licenses. So that said, man, the other storyline that I, I would love your context on, because there's there's a lot of negative sentiment there's a lot of unknown sentiment what's happening with earnings right now just from your broad perspective javi because like we get we have some good reports but you look at last week you look at the likes of msos and it plunged and i can't think of anything else but earnings and going into the may 11th hearing yeah honestly it like earnings are missed overall we're seeing some weakness in, in the industry uh nothing too surprising i think just like people are feeling, you know, the, 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 the pocket pressure, if you will. And, and, and fears of recession are, are certainly, uh, affecting, um, affecting demand. There's also, you know, a lot of price compression, um, and, and honestly, just like a lot more operators in, in many States and, and, and markets getting established, right. Um, uh, and, and becoming, a little bit more established in general, uh, but but results are mixed, right? Some, a few companies are are, are reporting, you know, good numbers. Most of them are, are, depo- are reporting significant declines. Well, and it's hard to tell the the shorters from the actual full sentiment in this industry. Uh, but when it when it comes to who I was surprised that moved today, we'll take today's earnings. Safe Harbor, I thought had a relatively positive mm-hmm. report, right? I didn't think the report was too negative. Um, it's SHF on the NASDAQ, y'all. Um, I, they didn't have a good start to the day. You know, they may have leveled out now. I'm not quite sure. There was another company uh, out of Florida, um, you know, Ianthus. Um, I'm thinking Ianthus, um, oh. who I thought had a pretty bad report. <laughs> no. They were up. Yeah, like they've been having bad news for a while, really. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a weird time in, in trading cannabis stocks. You got to do your due diligence and you got to play the long game. There's almost no other way to do it in this space. Javi, do you, do you agree? Is that oversimplifying? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I like let's rewind a little bit, right? Safe Harbor was interesting. Uh, there was a huge increase in, in, in revenue. However, sure. it should be well, noted that it's still net revenue of $4.2 million, right? So... Uh, it's still a, a slightly small piece of the cake uh, or, or the pie, if you will. Aero Wellness on the other side did report a, a massive increase, right? Like revenue for, for Q1 was $117.7 million, up 18% year over year. Uh, gross profits were good. Adjusted EBITDA was positive at $26 million. Uh, small, Relatively small operating losses. Uh, I mean, it's... Good cash balance, right? This was one of the most uh, upbeat reports I've seen in the last few weeks. Well, and they've struggled. 
their last several reports, like Air Wellness, I feel like has just been killed in the markets. But it's really nice to see them bounce back. And could I mean, their leadership seems to be working. Mm-hmm. Their, their, their leadership, not change, but I guess addition. Because, <laughs> you know, the, the original leadership is still there, just in a different role. Indeed. And uh, one more earnings report that caught my eye was Flora Growth, LGC. Um strongest uh, revenue report to date. Their acquisitions seem to be paying off. 307% increase year over year in revenue, $20.1 million. Uh, good growth profits still adjusted EBITDA is negative, only slightly 1.4 million. Um, it seems it's paying off. One of the things, one of my main key takeaways from, from these earnings, like this specific earnings report, for instance, is um, Latin America is still not generating important sales, uh, other than Puerto Rico, which is at like maybe 230, 250 million dollars of medical sales a year. The rest of the markets are insignificant. And you know, I'm very bullish in Latin America, but the markets mm-hmm. are insignificant. And what is saving companies like Flora, uh, is, you know, their, their strategy on, on acquisitions and expansion in, in the U S in Canada, in Europe. In Germany, uh, yeah. As a way to maintain and, and continue to fund their big bets in Latin America. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a, they, the floor growth is an interesting one. They have R&D, they have House of Brands, they have, you know, the wholesale, which is around half of the revenue of their House of Brands. Um, but overall, I mean, they took CBD in the U.S. and are pretty serious there. Uh, they have a friend, they acquired Franchise Global uh, in Germany and have a, a really nice reach there that I think will continue to pay off throughout the year. One thing I do want to call out, Javi, and you have seen this so much in your time in cannabis, that the management changeover here, I think, is a very interesting time because I really feel like Flora Growth was about to, um, not about to, but was starting to to get their f- footing under them. Uh, but they had a recent change in leadership. And, you know, you never really have the full clarity on picture for change in leadership. But then you also had the same at Tilt Holdings. Yeah. Um, you know, you're seeing some management changeover. Do you think this is going to be a common trend? And then we can get into our uh, awesome guests. I think we're seeing the end of it, actually, right? Uh, okay. We, we've said this a few times. There, there are a few original CEOs and CFOs left standing, uh, like Aris Asadian or, or, or Mike Horn's team, right? There, there aren't many others left. Uh, to me, it's a natural progression of the business. And also, honestly, if you're a publicly traded company, as soon as either when you're doing very, very poorly or when you start to be, to, to, to do better after a, a period of struggles, it's a good, it's a good move to, to change your management, to uh, incentivize and drive um, investor sentiment, right? Mm-hmm. Just go cool. like, okay, we're turning a new leaf. This is yeah. a new era. Especially and- right now, you're just going to do what you can do. Um all right, Javi, I appreciate you diving into that, man. Uh, a lot of earnings, a lot of numbers, a lot of tickers we're dealing with over the past week and a half. Uh, but all that said, we have two amazing guests today. Uh, we're going to start our conversation uh, with Bruce Linton, a name that is no stranger to us in the cannabis industry. Um, we're going to let him come over, talk about what he's doing now, uh, who he's working with, and the excitement that he sees in the space. Let's bring, it on, bring him on over, Malia. Let's welcome Bruce Linton. Bruce, how are you, sir? I'm uh, obviously a nerd because as I'm sitting and listening to Javier, I'm I'm like going, yeah, we got to watch out. Uh, to me, I, when I look at him, how much debt does everybody have? 
because this little <laughs> spike in the debt cost has become a big topic, right? You, uh, mm -hmm. it now matters how close to cash are you? But um, yeah, yeah. And Gornstein's back, by the way. Gornstein left. It was what we call a CEO, and then he came back. And I think it's a pattern we're going to see where they hire on resume the new CEO and then start measuring on fit and function. And so what we've seen in the cannabis space is let's get rid of all the dum-dums uh, leading with me and let's hire people <laughs> who have cool resumes. And if you have a cool resume, you must be able to do this because you came from beer or booze or cigarettes. And I think what we're going to see is a reverse evolution where may maybe it gets to be a little bit more about market share brands are cool products, innovation, um, geographic coverage. Cause I do like your floor guys. Cause you know, one way not to die, keep buying things and expanding. So you have a few more flotation points in the world. Amen to that. I mean, but Bruce, like you have as cool of a resume as anybody. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, really, well, really quick. Can you just dive in, man? Can you just so, tell us like, hey, what you're doing right now? And then maybe a little bit about how your experience played into that. Yeah. So I, I'm, um, I'm mainly interested where it's, things are changing. And so places where it's changing, um, that aren't seeming to attract as many people like the Netherlands finally has figured out a way to conduct an experiment so that the existing coffee shops will sell cannabis that comes officially from somewhere, mm -hmm. right? Like right now it's very magical cannabis. It just shows up there. And um, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's the same as the seeds everywhere. It's like, Oh yeah. A pigeon pooped it. Yeah. Yeah. No. So like the magical cannabis process, um, is going to be transformed into one that does a few things that every country wants to do. It's going to use existing assets to grow cannabis. So now it's going to create jobs and buildings that were derelict or abandoned. Big surprise. It's doing it in geographies, therefore, that need the work. And then they're going to vertically integrate it and sell it into the coffee shops so that the state can actually have some testing and controls and have some possibilities of revenue and know what's truly being sold through. And so like, Every everywhere we see it, it's the same place where they firstly, you know, they want to regulate and monetize. And um, so I'm excited about that because it works. Um, I was more excited about Germany. Germany's doing one of the few times I've actually seen German bureaucrats do something that's a little bit incomprehensible. Because typically you think of German bureaucrats as being, you know, German bureaucrats, frankly. And yeah. and that would mean that rather than saying, we're going to decriminalize because we don't want to regulate. Um. I suspect there's a great number of people in, say, like Albania and British Columbia, Canada, they're very excited about decriminalization as a potential business model. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, I was expecting the Germans to say, we're going to create a supply chain. It's going to be easier to get medical. We're going to do recreational on a specific Tuesday and say, uh, January of 2024, and that they were then going to license people to produce and get this thing fully rolling. And so... Germany's kind of, I've taken my foot off the gas on that one a little bit, but I think they'll come back to the reality that if they do what they propose to do, they're then going to be following the Netherlands, which will go to say, how do we actually build supply in our own country or reasonably controlled supply rather than just magical weed showing up in Germany? Um, so th those are things I'm working on. I'm still a kind of a tech guy working on stuff. I still look at a lot of uh, deals. I'm really right now, you hate to say it, but the sector is an opportunity to be a debt investor much more than sometimes an equity investor. Because if things get tough, equity gets squished, debt takes over. And that's why I would say for any, um, you know, responsible retail investor, the debt question is a big question because it can extinguish your equity value in a bad quarter. And then maybe a guy like Bruce comes in with some debt structuring stuff. <laughs> and the next thing you know, 
it's a dime on the dollar because debt's in charge. You heard it here first. Bruce Linton yeah. is looking at some debt deals. You probably didn't yeah. hear it here first, but well, that's interesting. Yeah, but, even, but even, you know, back when uh, Gage was an independent Michigan-based um, operator, the best debt we could get was 12 or 13%. And that's gotten, you know, a lot of people will brag about their nine or 10, but then you look at all the other complicating aspects around those lower rates, often it's very hard. And so for a lot of folks, their actual debt access now is 12, 14, 16%. And when you've got to do two ADE and pay four points higher on debt, it gets super hard to actually say how you're profitable. Indeed. Yeah. No, no one really is. I mean, very, very few companies out there are. Yeah. Um, one of the things that, you know, you, so there's two things that I would like to touch on. One is uh, you you mentioned these companies having like flotation devices around the world to, to somewhat stabilize their, their footing and, and put their eggs in different baskets. Right. And that is something that you're doing as well in in many senses. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the projects you're, you're involved in or looking at around the world? Yeah. Well, in, in the stabilization model, the reason I think people need to do it is, how do you predict the pace of public policy? You can't. So if you're playing in multiple geographies, one country can go slower and one country can go faster. And you still end up having an operating environment, which has got a growth potential. And so one of the companies, which is still um, not named, is um, active in Canada, Germany, um, and the Netherlands. And so what you start to look at is um, where are our genetics coming from? What are we doing in terms of being able to be EU GMP to supply places? So you start to just bring that bag of tricks together, which all do one thing. How do you drive top line market share? Because I think we can all agree that bottom line is hard, but it's a lot harder if you don't make your top line solid and growing. And so when I'm focusing with these people, it's entirely about what market share can we get? What reasonable margin can we achieve? What can we do in a, a, the only durable asset I really want to own in most places in, in, in the world is the processing platform. Because the growing and the selling have their own complications. Um, But the processing, you know, if you have a processing uh, capability in Germany or the Netherlands or anywhere, you know, that's where all the margin. When you go from grams to milligrams, you go from pennies to dollars. Like, it's pretty simple. You know, Javier, you you, you watch everybody who's selling stuff that comes off in a milligram. There's a lot more margin. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm working with those folks. Um, Interesting. There's a. What I'm really here is invest in saffron, right? Sorry, say again? Yeah, what I'm hearing here is invest in Zafron. Well, maybe. But what you're hearing here is I start looking at numbers. So, you know, I've got two stocks I've been watching. I'm, I haven't taken a position yet, and, and maybe I'm stupid to bring it up. But um, in Canada, we have two kinds of retailers. We have these convenience ones, which is like going to a convenience store, and you pay like, I don't know, $4 for a pack of gum, but it was super available to you. And there's discount. And the discount, folks, the pack of gum is like uh, what you pay at like Dollar Tree or something. Uh, and it's inexpensive. And the, all they do is they, instead of trying to jam 30 or 35 percent margin and do moderate sales, they take 15 or 20 percent mar- markup and they do higher volumes. And the higher volume one in Canada, the two that I keep an eye on are Canna Cabana and Tea Cannabis. High tide. Yeah, because like I look at it anytime somebody who's if you back out their if you back out their actual um, expansion capital on an operating basis, they're profitable and growing. And if you're profitable and growing and you're trading at less than 25% of your top line sales value, there is a bizarre discount in your stock. And so for all these folks, it's, I, I've, I've advocated guys quit talking to cannabis investors, find out who's the biggest investors in the discount retail chains, 
present them your opportunity. And I think you'll find that they will invest in you because you're not breaking any federal laws and you have a arm on what you should be trading at because you're actually discounted compared to any other profit delivering growth oriented discount stock. So strictly from a B2B level, we were having this conversation the other day, actually with leaf trade. Uh, and we were basically, we were, we were referencing the news that Nova cannabis had this fire sale, right? That they lowered prices immensely. And we're talking about, you know, obviously great for the consumer, but for the business, isn't that type of low price lowering that price for an extreme term gouging, uh, isn't that like counterintuitive to, well, to growing the industry the way you want it to grow? Yeah. Mm. If what you did is you bought a super expensive lease location, put in a ton of capex, have way too many square feet, and have a model that has to have a high margin, this is a destruction for you. But if what you did instead is you took over the inexpensive nail salon that failed during COVID and had super cheap rent, and you put very limited amount of uh, capital leasehold improvements in, and you've kept your overhead super low, what you do is you take a lower markup and you do a higher multiple. So last time I checked, if I have a choice of having a 30-point markup on $2 million of sales or a 20% markup on $4 million of sales, I'm better off the other way. Yep. What it will mean is some of the more expensive higher markup obligation operations will be toast. It doesn't mean that it's actually a bad business model. And then over time, as you start to see things that are more novel, unique products continue to hit the market, those will be the ones which are defensible on margin. And I think everybody will benefit by them going up. But like right now, you know, if you want to buy an ounce of weed in Canada and you don't care what it is, super cheap. That only works selling it in a low overhead model, which I think tea cannabis and Canada Cabana have nailed. Super interesting. So I could talk about that all day, man. Uh, that's really cool. And honestly, the whole Canadian uh, market is is obviously interesting. So, but I do want to kind of pinpoint back into CFCR. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about the work you're doing? And obviously, it's a poignant time for us to discuss CFCR. Well, so CFCR is basically, we are it's a nice acronym, but it's seeking to have sensible and safe policy regulation around cannabis. So what's that actually mean? Well, if anybody tells me again that we're going to have it all organized and federally regulated by, in five years, I've been hearing that for 10. <laughs> and, and so a political decision does not result in good regulation. We've just talked about Germany, bad regulation, political decision. So if you actually have bad regulation after a political decision, it's worse than not having had the political decision. It destroys the market. And so what CFCR is trying to focus on is dealing with, first, we're one of the few groups that can bring in and have opinions presented by very large main street commercial enterprises. Think Fortune 500. So now we're building bridges to those crowds to say, what would you like to see for the potential of ingredients, whether it's from hemp all the way to, uh, we'll call it, elements of cannabis, whether it's the terpenes or other things being incorporated into their businesses. And what do you want big business? That helps get the politics. Second thing is we've focused on cohorts. We have this family office we work with that agrees with us, which is we think medical will probably be the first thing recreationally or medical slash we'll call it therapeutic ingredients will be the first regulated across the country in America. And that the first cohort that's most likely to have access to them are those of 65 years of age and older. You know why? They vote, they have cash, and they have the right to make decisions. And so I think that cohort will have trials and methods to have access. It will validate the state, the, the federal government will try to look for evidence. And then it will expand on a medical basis into like we'll call first yeah. responders. Yeah. And so the CFCR works exactly that path. We work it with the regulators. 
the policymakers, we don't go to push politicians. We, we focus on what do you do the day they say where they want something done and how do we help you make sure you make the right choices. I love that that approach, you know, as it relates to the age groups as well, because it doesn't feed into this narrative of, of youth consumption and, and all the, yep. the concerns that politicians and, and advocacy groups against cannabis always have. Right. To close it up, uh, you know, I, I want to kind of prompt you something that we were discussing before the show. But right now you said, you know, political decisions and, and might I add, a good political decision does not always lead to good regulation, right? The the, True. the 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 road from law to regulation is always long, right? And at, at, at every country, right? Like a law is passed, and then until we get regulations, there's there's maybe two years in general, approximately give or take. In the yeah. middle, there's some kind of gray situation that is not very gray because as long as it's not regulated, even though it's legal, there's no framework on how you can do it. But like, talk about this in general, right? Like, I, I ramble. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you know, I was at Benzinga in Miami. Awesome event, by the way. Um, but one of the things that I was uh, I was hearing, there was one session on New York, New York. How can you not make it there? And uh, <laughs> it was it was it was it was actually kind of sad because what it was, I, I thought that it missed the context of the bigger picture. So here's how it works. Politician says we're going to have recreational cannabis. Illegal entrepreneurs, 14 minutes later, began immediately opening up thousands of illegal stores selling magical cannabis that came from nowhere. And then you think, oh, my God, it'll never change. No, it happens every time that way. What happens next is the people who used to get bike courier delivery, like everyone in New York, starts mm -hmm. to now say, you know what? It's cool. I can go to a store and buy this stuff. Person who loses the OG delivery dude and his whole supply chain are now getting run over by the new entrepreneur because they're not necessarily the same people. But the consumers figured out, I like going to a store to buy weed. Now, in the background, the government is getting production, processing, and retail stood up. Once it's stood up enough that they can flood the market with their product or at least give enough to respond to it, they begin to do enforcement. And the entrepreneurial person with the magical cannabis immediately shuts down and moves to the next state that's made that statement. It happens over and over again. If you don't believe me, go from New York to Thailand. Same mm -hmm. thing. It's exactly, Canada was the same thing in 2017. And, and that's what they're saying in Thailand too. Like now we have a bunch of Americans taking over what was supposed to be our business. Yeah, but it's because it's the, what they said is we're having a party. They just didn't say what time. So everybody who's an entrepreneurial just started having a party. <laughs> you know what I mean? The government has not brought forward the rules. So it's happening. And so it's the same thing. It doesn't matter if it's Thailand, it's Canada, it's New York State. But we know how it turns out. If the government gets the things together, which I know New York State is, they will have production processing and retail points of sale. And I will, I'll bet you we finish 2023 with a very different landscape in a state like that, for example. Mm. Bruce, I love it, man. We do have to wrap here, my friend, but we could talk to yes. you all day. Thank you so much for joining us. Bruce Linton, chair of the Council for Federal Cannabis Regulation. Look into what they're doing. CFCR, just look them up. Is it cfcr.org, yeah. Bruce? Awesome. Yeah. Uh, so please check them out. They are really, really in tune with what's happening. Thank you again, Bruce. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you guys. Talk to you. Bye. Bye. Awesome. Javi, it was really nice to catch up with Bruce. We haven't chatted with him on here in a long time, uh, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. However, the show is not over far from it. We are going to bring cool. on one of the coolest, in my opinion, uh, and most solid edible uh, makers Yummy. in the land. I am so excited yeah. to bring over Christine Smith, mm -hmm. CEO of Broom. Hey, Christine, how are you? 
great. How are you? Oh, we're fabulous. We're fabulous. We're just over here talking about the Dutch experiment, you know, hanging yeah. out. <laughs> um, yeah. But how have you been? We, so we have, so Javi wasn't with us when you and I first chatted. We got to chat at MJ Biz in Las Vegas in November. Right. Uh, so we do need to, I think, just back up a little bit, do a quick recap on what Grun is. Tell us a little bit about where you are, who you are, and what you're doing. Sure. Yeah. Um, so my name is Christine Smith. I'm the CEO and founder of Groon. We're an edible company that that is based out of out of Oregon. We started in Oregon. We're an MSO company. Um, we're we're primary. We're just edibles. So we're not. We don't uh, dabble in in uh, production or retail. Uh, we're just an edible maker. Um, we started in Oregon uh, with chocolate and then expanded into the land of gummies, which we. Uh, affectionately called pearls in our land um, and megas, and then uh, moved into Arizona, Nevada, Oklahoma, Missouri, Canada, and are really excited about uh, Maryland coming on board here very soon and New Jersey. Wow. Let me ask you two non-business questions real fast. Back to back. One is, what is Grun? And the other one, uh, Elliot mentioned the Dutch experiment, quoting uh, Bruce in a way. Uh, and I want to know if you personally had like any Dutch experiments that led <laughs> to Groon. Uh, because I assume you may have found inspiration in, in the pioneer in, in edibles in many ways, which was Amsterdam. Yeah. Well, ironically, so Groon, Groon means green in Swedish, um, which is what it stands for. Yeah. So um, it's a... Uh, it simply means green. Um, I, I was an architect in my prior life. We all have these like BC before cannabis lives. Um, so I, uh, I actually studied architecture over in Europe um, and became really fond of the whole Scandinavian um, influence. So so rather yeah. rather than Dutch, I would say Scandinavia is, is much more of a of an influence um, to, to me. Um, but uh, yeah, so that that's the, the meaning of Groon. Um, I love Amsterdam. I love it. I love the Dutch. I love the people. I love the culture, but it had nothing to do with us. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, one more for you. And I, I got to see if you catch this one just to feel cool. de Guele. I don't get it. Okay. That was me neither. Me neither. I don't get it either. The only Swedish thing I know. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, Javi's yeah. in his own world over there, Christine. Uh, well, we're going to let him stay in Argentina for right now. Uh, so, Christine, tell us a little bit about, you know, you're an edibles maker. So let's, let's you know, get centric to the product there. What are some trends? You know, what's the consumer demand right now for edibles? Is it growing? Um, you know, what do people want out of their edibles? Yeah, well, you know, we're seeing a couple of different trends. One that we're seeing across all markets is a is a is a real um, interest in value product. So we've seen we we offer a, a line of products um, that are we call them a single serve, but it's a it's able to pack as many milligrams into a smaller package, small uh, so as a higher dose option for recreational customers. And, and we're really seeing that trend pretty heavily in a lot of our mature markets. We're also seeing um, equally important is the, the lean into um, uh, uh, targeted products uh, with high cannabinoid ratios, um, leaning towards sleep, um, maybe focus, but sleep is, you know, the, the CBN options, the um, higher, um, uh, minor cannabinoid ratios. Um, and then also we're seeing, I think we're going to see a continued push um, with the rosin and with the solventless options and edibles. That's, that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a good lot. bit. 
what's what's really interesting is that it's completely different in the markets, right? So mature markets with more educated consumers are looking for a different product than you go into a market that is just coming on to maybe recreational use. And people are literally taking anything that's available because the demand so you know exceeds the available product on the market. So they all reach, they all have this kind of peak and flow as they evolve and mature. Mm-hmm. Um, as more more competition comes on and more supply really levels out. And I think my, my surprise is is really around the fact that edibles are mostly seen as this entrant, you know, for, for new yeah. consumers, right, to the industry. Whereas a new consumer, I bet, has no idea what rosin is. So I'm interested, exactly. like, do they now graduate to a rosin gummy and then to, to smoking flour potentially? I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are as gummies as an entrant, if that still applies. Yeah. You know, I mean, yes and no. I mean, I think they're two different customers. I, I really do. Like we've seen, I think there is a real customer and I, I do strongly believe that, that edibles are an entrant. They are, they are the gateway into cannabis for so many people, particularly those folks that, that have, are not really consumers and are not, they, it, it's something you can actually trick your mind into becoming a cannabis user without ever touching the plant, right? It's just another gummy vitamin that's going to help you sleep at night. And there are a lot of consumers that you see. My mother, who is a diehard, very conservative Texan, right, has has now replaced Ambien at night with taking a gummy or a piece of chocolate, right? And that is you, you're nice. that, that right. And it's and so that's a that's a, you will she will never smoke joint. She will never you know really, but, but she loves she loves edibles. Um, so that's that's I think a different consumer than than a consumer that is really focused on the on terpenes and on different profiles um, and really is looking to experience the taste and the flavor of cannabis, which is which is much more flavor forward in a rosin product. So I think I think they are different consumers, and I think the market is still so early that that there's plenty of room on the market to appeal to both of them. I have a kind of facetious question. Yeah. Um, I love the pips. I love the regular <laughs> which you call pearls. pearls. Yeah. What are the mega pearls for? Oh, like, who is taking a hundred milligrams at a time? Because I got I got some uh, once, like as a gift, and I was like taking like nibbles, like. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'll tell you about a million people a month are taking those things right now. Yes, Christine. (laughs) Something crazy crazy like that. So we are, we make more megas than we make anything else right now. No, that's not, that's not our our highest revenue driver that is, but it is a volume driver. And, and, and what's really interesting is, and, and say the story, we started with pearls. Most people are in the 10 piece um, game in the edible land and, and for the consumer like myself, and maybe you guys I have no idea, it's it's the right product, right? I want I want it easily dosed. I buy I drink my Coke out of a can. I don't not the not the two liter, right? Which is the value offering. What we did with the mega was we took it and we made a two liter, right? So we're passing the savings mm-hmm. on um, for the consumer into something. So it's still a compliant product, but you're getting hundred milligrams in one piece. You have to cut it yourself, right? You have to figure that out. Um, but for someone that wanted to, it's still small enough that you could eat the whole thing in one dose. Um, so it is hundred milligrams. And today, you know, we are making products. The majority of the consumers that are on today's market are higher dose cannabis users. Now the people, and I, and I, maybe that's not true to say the majority of them, but those are the repeat customers that are coming mm-hmm. back 
into the retail stores every few days. So they're actually driving a lot of the volume and a lot of the revenue that are coming into the retail stores. We want to think that they're all 65 year old uh, retirees and there are, but a 10 pack of gummies might last the 65 year old retiree three weeks to take. Whereas someone else might be coming in looking for a hundred milligram product and they're going to eat that over two days. So they're really looking for a value product for their milligrams. And we've, we've, we, we really discovered this back in 2020 here in Oregon where we started because it really matured and then kind of settled and, and fell apart really early on. And uh, we were looking at, at how do we, how do we tackle this consumer base? And my initial concern when our chief revenue officer came to us and said, we've, I've got this idea, we've got to do this was you're out of your mind. We're, we're going to just, we're going to just take away all of our current 10 piece customers and just, you know, just, mm-hmm. we're not gonna have any margins left. What are we going to do? And actually, it, we, we gained traction and margin um, across all of our products, and we took over market share. Um, so they're two totally different customers that are doing that it. That's very interesting. Yeah. Can I, yes. can I, so I'm going to put out um, something that's obviously not in demand, but it is a personal request for me, Christine, <laughs> uh, that was put out to Verano. I would like a bag of gummy bears that is like 10 milligrams. Like I want like a single serving for the, this oh, is for the fat, too, like this is the fat cannabis consumer, gummy. right? Gummy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is for me. Um, I just want a single serving uh, in like a really big bag of gummy bears. That okay, would be so like, I, I have, perfect. I have an answer for you. So what, what you're going to do in the meantime is you take one that is 10 milligrams and you just mix it in the bag. And then it's like the mystery one. Well, and then you have to eat them all. And like, (laughs) Christine, I love it. This is great. (laughs) Um, Awesome. So, you know, kind of leading these ideas. These are great insights. It's like, okay, get, get, like, get the, uh, get the mystery gummy, get the 100 milligram piece and then cut it in in slices. You know, you should, (laughs) you should be selling the precision knife. Like Puffco does their hot knife. We've actually looked at that. We've looked at something like that. Oh my God. But I'm not sure that I want the liability of, you know, giving knives. Well, you guys know crumble cookies. So it's not a pitch session. Wait, it, it sounds like a brainstorming session, but but it's a show. Does anybody else order cookies? Crumble cookies. You get the the cookie cutter that goes into fours. You could you could have a branded green one for sure. Um, all I, so one kind of follow up here in terms of the consumer is there's a lot of talk. There has been a lot of talk for years about education. You know, educating the marketplace, educating the consumer. Uh, you know, educating them about health and wellness, about focus, about what these products do. Uh, you know, I had an interesting conversation the other day where, um, you know, this person was basically saying that is just marketing. You know, that's just good marketing. And I'm curious your thought, A, to that statement, and B, you know, you do a lot. So how do you, you know, differentiate that on your packaging, on, on the e-commerce, you know, just how do you... Um, you know, target these different consumer bases with your marketing? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's really interesting. And we, we study this a lot and we look really hard at, at as a brand right now with where, where the market is, we are still three steps removed from our consumers, right? In a lot of ways, because we have to sell through dispensaries that are selling our stores. We don't have the ability to market on Instagram really, or on Facebook mm-hmm. really, or in any of these places, you can kind of sort of do it, but people can't buy directly from us. So they don't get to interact with us directly as they could in a more traditional retail setting. So we've invested really heavily in supporting our frontline staff, which are our bud tenders. 
and really educating them. And it's not just traditional education of going in and doing a pitch, um, but hosting events um, in the in the markets that we're in and actually throwing parties, appreciation events for them and bringing them to us where we're able to bring them together with their peers, celebrating them um, and then providing education and, and giving them product and other you know, and other things. And, and that seems to be going um, a, a, a fair way. I mean, we're really excited about the results we're seeing. Um, I, you know, I think it's a, I think it's a constant battle. There's, there's just, it's a, it's a challenging and interesting way to look at marketing in the cannabis space from a brand. I, I say, whatever we're doing, it's working. We've got a whole team of in-house folks that are constantly, you know, that are, that are our brand and marketing team um, pushing forward. Um, but it is, it's, it's, we've leaned really heavily into the, into the retail bud tenders. Now, want to close it up, I know you're, you're big on ESG in general, right? Whether it's, it's, it's sustainability through your extraction methods or packaging, whether it's, you know, leaning into fair trade. Um, can you talk about it a little bit and, and why it matters to you so much? I mean, to make it so central to your brand, Right. Yeah, I mean, sure. It's I, I think it's I think it's our duty um, to this plant, to this planet, and to to society to to give back and 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 uh, take care of it. and and may partially. You know, I'm I from Oregon, so uh, we're we're pretty heavy out here and and responsibility um, and sustainability. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, I think it's there's there's a lot that that we can do to be better um, and. Uh, you know, not every market are we able to be solventless, um, but we're really excited about some of the technology that we're using out here on the West Coast markets. Um, you know, that's that's been a challenge for us just really as, in different states as we enter having to work within the logistics and the and the framework and and really the progression of where those markets are. But um, but yeah, from from packaging to fair trade to solventless to really um, trying to trying to give back um across the board is it's really important to us as a as a company and i think as an ethos to me personally christine smith ceo of groon it is always a pleasure to chat with you you as thank well you. Yeah. yeah this was fun thank you so much I, I think we'd love to get more into market expansion next time uh this is to be continued for sure and we're excited to watch your growth so thank, thank you, you so much for joining us again christine right. you have a great one thanks a lot bye-bye bye-bye javi two Awesome conversations today, man. Like that was a really interesting couple of interviews there. Uh, we got some great product trend conversation with Christine and honestly, uh, kind of educational for me uh, and an update for me on the edibles market, which I was, I think I was working on more outdated information than I realized when it yeah, came man. to edibles trends. I'm going to be just like a lot more straightforward and sometimes a little bit facetious or sneaky with my questions. I like when, when, when people respond in different ways, I'm, so bored of like asking like and not myself in general right like many times we just ask the same questions over and over and over again i mean not not us like the executive I'm be like i don't think we do i actually think we we do yeah, y'all if we if we're boring if we ask questions. the same questions over and over again please let us know like for the love of yeah, god let us know we don't want to do that you get them right when when i am interviewed and i've i've done probably i don't know like 300 400 interviews at this point in my career and half of them start the same way right and it's like 50% are the same questions, right? And at a certain point, you just put on like this little cassette and, and just go. 
right? Whether versus when, when we ask them these like re more random questions, I feel like like people or guests go on, on interesting tangents. Yeah, no, that was great. It was a great conversation with Christine. I don't know. It was a great conversation with uh, Bruce. Thank you so much to our guests for joining us. And I'll leave you with this before we uh, do any of our last items here. Air Wellness gets a note from Canaccord Genuity uh, for a speculative buy. They do lower their price target to $13 Canadian from $15 Canadian. Uh, but a speculative buy, you know, I think that's the, um, I believe that is different from their previous note on them. So all that said, Javier, uh, it has been a fun show, my friend. Tune into Cannabis Daily the rest of the week. We will be back again on Thursday with uh, Lucid Green, uh, a brand builder in the industry. They're awesome uh, when it comes to brands. So if you are a brand partner in any way or you own a cannabis brand, tune into that interview. It'll be super interesting. And you get to hang out with Javi and I. What's better than that? All that said, y'all, thank you so much, Javi. Last words to you, brother. Love you, man. I love you. Go check out Elliot's show, man. Cannabis Daily, that is the place where you get your news in a very condensed, very easy to consume five minute nugget. Uh, NBCCannabis.com. Check out our event. We'll be in Chicago in September. Amen. BZ Cannabis. All right, y'all. We'll see you next time. Peace. <laughs>